Phoenix, your source for Warhammer Underworlds, and under 30 things that you thought were worthy of knighthood, but we're really just picking a mushroom in the woods. I'm your co-host, <laughs> Davey, and with me is my co-host, Phil. Phil, how are you doing? Hey, doing pretty good. A little, little addled by the bad moon? Yeah, uh, bad moon, some bad mushrooms, all, <laughs> all going. All of the above. Hey, uh, we, uh, as you may be able to tell, we are uh, covering the Loon Court, and the we are also tacking on a little bit of Fearsome Fortress coverage as well. Uh, for context, it is December 4th, which is only four days after I actually recorded the last ep with uh, <laughs> all the rest of the crew. We should say this episode is made possible by Games Workshop sending us a preview copy of uh, the Loon Court and of the Fearsome Fortress deck. That the latter of the two just dropped in our lap like a you know hot second ago, and so uh, kind of jumbled up a little plans um, for exactly how we would run this episode. But yeah. uh, we're uh, we'll uh, talk more about that in a little bit. We uh, you already know mostly what the heck's been going on with me uh, since I just told you four days ago in my uh, time. And really, just uh, a week ago in, in listeners' time, if they're doing it, this is the uh, the rare episode where we break from that uh, bi-monthly, every other week um, format, yeah. uh, which we, we we flex to do if there's uh, something newsworthy, um, Some new out, new releases, so. yeah, coming in hot, yep, uh, super hot, uh, Phil. But uh, what the heck has been going on with you? Yeah, um, not a ton i did finally get back out to league um yep. i also just got my gnarlwood box um <laughs> a lot of the stores in town sold out right away and i was like i'll just wait for them to get more i won't like put in an online order or anything they'll, they'll yeah. have more and then yeah. two weeks later they still didn't have any so i was like i think i think i've just gotta order one and then of course <laughs> like you know at league i saw that they did have one on the shelf so it's like oh well, i guess i could have waited one more week but yeah. it was only a couple more days so yeah. i ended up i ended up getting it i can finally start building with the new cards um obviously i've been looking at that stuff still have been playing uh spike claws pretty much exclusively since rotation um yeah you had a rat off at uh, league didn't you yeah yeah an epic rat battle if you will um which was an interesting game. I was playing without a lot of the new stuff though. So I had some pretty suboptimal cards in there. I was still oh. playing with some delve stuff. So, okay. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I remember seeing that. I was like, wow, interesting choice. Uh, yeah. Build, it wasn't, build. it wasn't what I wanted to have in the deck. I just hadn't mm. updated it yet because I didn't have like any of the new cards to update it with. So Got it. instead of run a bunch of proxies, I was like, I'll just run it back out again. We'll see how it does. Yeah. Um, spoiler alert as if no one knew this but uh delve is not good anymore um you can still score the cards but staggering your fighters sucks uh, <laughs> yeah you, i mean you kept it close enough i, I think yeah, i was i, I mean, was watching for some of it you had a, a route to victory uh up until late in the uh yeah. late in the second round and then like a hail mary in the third round yep yep yeah it was really close um i mean the total score i think was like I want to say it was like 15 to 13 or something like that. Okay. Um, yeah. Maybe it was more, but either way, uh, it was good. And it was interesting to see the rats fight into each other. Sure. Yeah. I, uh, I remember coming back and noticing that Scritch had died despite being inspired with uh weighty blessing. It's like, Oh yeah. no. Yeah. That's, uh, that's not good when you're playing against the assassin rats. Who, yeah. Uh, 
it's basically guaranteed (laughs) collateral damage for him (laughs) yeah i think he scored five glory off that kill oh no does that include collateral damage or yeah yeah yeah. okay it was like get the kill and then some surges and then also eventually get collateral damage and it was like yeah (laughs) might have even been more than actually now that i think about it but either way it was it was big um but yeah it's been fun um I kind of want to get back to stalkers, but I feel like with all the ping out there right now, they're going to be yeah, kind of in a bad spot. So we'll see. Yeah, I, that's that's a that's a maybe a topic for our um, uh, soon to be uh, put out the um, uh, debate episode is is uh, the ins and outs of ping is is uh, how yeah. what's the effect of that on the game? Uh, I have this theory that. Uh, swarm war bands are not as worried about ping because sure you can uh, yeah. get a fighter, but uh, but I could be I could be very wrong. Yeah, uh, I guess we'll we'll find out, right? <laughs> I think um, the thing I'm worried about, and I haven't play tested enough, and maybe we don't go down this tangent too much, but just the idea is that like if I'm trying to hold objectives, and all somebody has to do is play power cards to get me off of them because they killed my fighter off of them <laughs> it mm-hmm. feels pretty bad yeah um and there's that whatever it's called the score two for killing someone with a surge sudden demise Sudden demise yeah. i like it i like the card a lot but i think it's it's uh pretty spicy when you have two wound fighters that you can start yeah. giving off i think it might be headed for a restriction uh yes i opinion. think i think that is i i mean i remember when that came out and we were talking to each other yes. like we, i think this unlocks a whole new deck type you know yes. like i think this on its own makes ping decks and then of course there's just a flood of ping cards yeah, to come with so it, many so. that they've added to the game so yeah. very interesting stuff yeah we'll definitely have some some interesting conversations in the future about all the ping sure hey let's uh let's do a little bit of quick uh community shout outs sure. um there's one that i wanted to hit we've got another listener starting up a, a blog there's just the one post so far um i think uh on his blog, he's going by uh, R77. Uh, he's mm-hmm. Ramazite77 on our Discord. And uh, starting up uh, some of his blog. Uh, it's it's from the perspective of uh, playing Gnarl Spirit Pack in the Nemesis format. Uh, specifically, this one uh, using Daring Delvers, which is... Uh, yeah. Yeah, that's a, a rogue choice. Um, but he's done a really good job of, uh, breaking it all down. He's got card images there, so you don't have to be, uh, someone who's memorized everything. Uh, so all the references are there as you need is very nicely laid out. And I hope, uh, I hope he does some more, uh, or they, uh, do some more. I will, uh, make sure that we've got a link to that in the show notes. So you can go check it out uh, if you've not already. And, uh, that reminds me, we got to update our, our list of links. So, uh, yeah. We'll uh, we'll get to that too. Absolutely. Um, anything you got, Phil? Uh, nobody else's community stuff, but our own community stuff. Uh, if you're looking for a tournament to come and play at, uh, we are going to be doing one for the quarter first quarter of next year, uh, January 21st at Noble yeah. Night Games uh, in Fitchburg, Wisconsin. So, uh, coming out, jam some games, have some fun. We've got the new prize kit, and it should be a good time. Yeah, we still love to get uh, new players. This will be championship format this time around. Yep. Uh, and so uh, a little little higher curve on there, but um, 
if you uh, if you are in the area, come on and play. Even if you're not in the area. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe a bit of a a stretch, but hey, if you feel like traveling, by all means. Yeah, we'll make sure to make it a hospitable uh, time for you. Absolutely. Well, uh, I'd say we stop uh, pitter-pattering around those center hexes (laughs) and uh, get into it here. Um, Phil, we kind of got two things to cover here. We have the Loon Court and we have the uh, Fearsome Fortress Rivals deck. Uh, we're going to do a deeper dive on each of these. You're kind of getting first impressions. Uh, again, thanks to GW, we've had the chance to play with both of these. So they're uh, some informed takes. Uh, so not exactly hot takes, but let's uh, let's say uh, uh, room temperature takes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. Lukewarm. Co- yeah, cozy, cozy, uh, cozy blanket during the winter takes. You know that yeah. that kind of that kind of not so hot. It's it's gonna burn you, but uh, it'll be comforting. Uh, do you want to touch on Loon Court first, or do you want to hit Fearsome Fortress? Let's let's talk about this Loon Court Warband. I think people okay. will be curious about these guys. So let's just I, lead off there. I I agree. Um, we will kind of do a. a deeper dive like maybe i mean we rarely do the the card by card thing here but um we're gonna do let's do the the overview here uh kind of central to these guys is the quest mechanic so i think that's uh almost the i think that might be the best place to start i don't know what you think yeah i think it is um it's not a plot even though you maybe could have guessed that it should have been um but it's it plays a lot like a plot so essentially this warband has a handful uh, i think is it seven uh yeah i think i counted up seven of them yeah yes seven quest objectives so these are a, a combination of both end phase and surges so there's nothing um to stop them from being one or the other and the way that these work is that when you want to score it during a power step you can choose to give the quest like an upgrade to a friendly fighter who has no tokens, none at all. Mm. Uh, and Phil, when, when we say tokens, like what are we, because people yeah, can get so counters and tokens confused. Counters and we tokens, tokens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so like um, a move token, a mm-hmm. charge token, mm-hmm. stagger token, guard yeah. token. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, in the rule book, they should be defined, but I think that's all of them. And so if you've basically done anything with the fighter, you probably, unless it was just an attack, you probably can't play a quest. So you're sort of having to like double uh, give away what you're trying to do because you both have to set it out like in the power step ahead of what you want to do. And then it has to be done with that specific fighter. Um, and then course you still have to meet the conditions so uh kind of kind of different um Mm. and so then you've played this thing out you do not draw another card to replace it in your hand so your hand will only have however many you have left Mm. um but the the quests will then stay on the fighter until either they're taken out of action or they score it sure um and if you do have the fighter get taken out of action the card does say that you then put it back in your hand even if you have three or more objective cards um so like you don't just lose them if you fail to score them with your fighter but like they they do have a delay before you would get another shot at them 
Yeah, it's uh, it's a little bit confusing exactly how these operate sometimes. So yeah. at times you had a uh, surge quest in your on your fighter card. Yep. If you score a surge quest, it's it's unclear. Do you then draw a replacement? Uh, if yeah. you do, then what if you already had three? How are you getting to three in your hand anyway? Is that if a quest is out at the end of the round, then do you still get to drop <laughs> to three in your hand? Uh, I, yeah, I, I some... think there's some, you can kind of go on instinct and figure out how some of this stuff, but th there's some that's not immediately apparent. And it, again, they kind of lay out the whole quest mechanic each time they, they write it all out on each card. So yeah. every one of these quests looks like a huge wall of text because it yeah. is in the same way that uh, illusions were. Uh, but it feels like it could have benefited from a a plot card to just kind of lay it out for us. Yeah, and it would just save a lot of printing, <laughs> right? I mean, there'd just be so much less text on each card if they had done that. But, yeah. um, you know, it, it's fine. Um, yeah. Hey, if you, if you think of it as, hey, you are going to play with some of your objective hand in the open, um, yep. that's probably the, the easiest way to think I, about it. I think I think so. Um, and yeah, so I, I mean, there's there's some needed checks of the rule book to see if there's anything that would really clear up how the drawing will work with these. But that's sort of the only thing that we had had questions about when we played with this. <laughs> Hey everybody, Davey here with a quick editor's update. Uh, the relevant page for what you want if you're trying to figure out how these quests work is page 44 of the Gnarlwood rulebook. It has the end phase laid out for you. Basically it works how you think it would. You have, once the quests are played out, you just follow the rules as they're written. It's pretty simple. If you have a quest that is a surge, uh, the rules instruct you after you score to draw a new one. So let's say you had one surge quest out and two cards in your hand. Score the surge that's a quest, draw a new one into your hand. If somehow at the end of the phase you have three quests played out, don't score any of them. You have no cards in your objective hand. In the end phase, you're gonna drop to three, so you're gonna have three quests out and three cards in your hand. You could then lose all three of those fighters, have to pick them up, and then have six cards in your hand. I think the easiest thing to remember is that the only specific reference to having three cards in your hand is at the end phase uh, when you have discard when you've scored any objectives you wanted and discarded any that you don't want. It specifically says if you have less than three, drop to three. There's no other uh, specifically referenced limit to having only three in your hand, so uh, that's the only time that hand size is checked. And uh, I hope that makes it a little bit easier. Anyway, back to the show. It, it's a it's a very interesting mechanic i think it's very unique i doubt we'd ever see anything like this again uh what how do you feel about it <laughs> well so on first glance i i was pretty anti i was like man i you know i really don't like having to signal so early what my objectives are um however the deck itself has a number of cards that interact with quests uh does. and that that becomes uh, a way to make these a little more powerful. So like, think of it, you know, there's like a, a plus one defense uh, uh, until you score your quest or until the end of the round. That's a pretty great gambit if you can put that out early and that's specifically what you can do with this. So yeah, um, I think uh, I think we'll, as we get into some of those cards, we'll get into it, but you, you found some interesting dynamics with that. Like you were feeling when we were playing, cause you, you play these guys, 
you've my impression from the other side was that it was putting some real tough choices in your hands of like this would be really powerful to do it would also it also really kind of stinks to signal this early that here's what i want to do and here's me here's where i'm committing my resources already yeah definitely um i mean you literally are showing your hand right um and it also as you mentioned some of the power cards do rely on quests which then can put you in some weird spots where you know you want to play those power cards but maybe you don't want to have to put the quest on a specific fighter that you want to play the ploy on so then you're like well do i what's what's worth more suboptimally putting out the quest or not buffing my fighter and i I was struggling um i think there's going to be a high skill cap with these guys um, we were just playing rivals and I was just really struggling with the decision points. Um, I feel like it slowed our games down a lot. <laughs> um, trying to figure out what I wanted to do, uh, when I wanted to do it. Yeah. Uh, so, and the, the other thing to know about these quests is it's, it's the primary way that most of these guys inspire or it's the true. It's the, yep. It, it, everybody, everybody except the boss inspire by scoring a quest that is attached to them. Yes. Um, I, it is also the interesting thing where, like you said, if that fighter dies, then that quest can come back into your hand. And so, uh, there's some, like there's one that's for, you know, successfully landing a charge. Well, if you want to put it on somebody like that, that's tough. Cause normally you'd only have one chance per round to score something like that. But if you kind of put it on a Hail Mary throwaway, like one of your, you could try a strategy of like, I'm going to put it on one of the, um, the schlubs, charge them yeah. if they miss. Well, now that the other players got to decide, well, do I pick off this uh, Dangle Bro, get the glory for it, but then put that quest back in the uh, gets player's hand? Or do I, is that now a deterrent? So there's also this other, this whole other step of like, oh, is there a deterrent game around this now? Yeah, uh, so. yeah, for sure. Because I mean, if you leave the fighter who charged alone, that's yeah. just one objective that's just dead for the rest of the round, guaranteed. And mm-hmm. I mean, surges that are dead hurt really bad. So, yeah. Um, but on the on the flip side, if a dangle bro can be like, all right, I get to yeah, be left alone. Yes, I'm know? just safe. But yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. So, like I said, I think very high skill ceiling. I think there's going to have to be a lot of testing with these guys to figure out how best they work. Mm-hmm. Um, but on the face of it, in Rivals anyway, quests felt uh, pretty tough to play with, for mm-hmm. sure. Um, I don't know, I guess, to borrow from Battle Mallet a little bit, um, how, do, how do you feel like these guys are for somebody who's like just getting into the game who like loves goblins? Uh, that's a good question. Uh, certainly, I was, I was about to try to decide if they're easier to get or harder to get. I mean, easier to... I was about to try to opine on whether they are easier to play or harder to play than uh, Zarbag's gets. Uh, whether whether or not one of the, or the other is harder, uh, they, these are certainly easier to get. So uh, They certainly are easier yeah. to get. I think, yeah. man, I, I feel like somebody coming in brand new to the game would struggle with these guys, but that's... Maybe so, but if you think of Zarbag's with the Scurry and with uh, Snurk and some of the tiny yeah. windows that... Zarbag's... Uh, I think we're yeah. tough to play too. Maybe, maybe yeah. they're both just equally bad for new players. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
Yeah, I I think uh, well, I think more so than anything, I, I think often new players might just look at that quest mechanic and be like, ah, I'm pretty sure it works like this, and it's it's players who know a little bit more of the ins and outs would might be like, well, actually, I'm not really sure how yeah. I like proceeding possibly yeah but um but yeah if we were if we were to summarize the fighters uh you've got two dangle bros that would be nags and uh burke Burke, pointy burke who might be my favorite uh nags nags and burke are just kind of little two wound uh i like that they have slightly different profiles nags is a little more accurate when inspired burke does a little more damage when inspired yep uh there is Pokin Snark, who it's actually pretty handy. He's got one extra wound, so he's a he's a three wound fighter. Yep. He's got a squig on a stick. He actually starts at two damage, which was a little bit of a surprise to me uh, when you laid laid some damage in. <laughs> uh, and then he's got Nashin, which another fighter has, which is a, a crit effect that breaks an upgrade, uh, which I don't think came into play in any of our, no. our uh, games, but it has the potential for those big big swings, big rounds. Yes, definitely. I will hit uh, Snorbo Despore and leave you the last three. Sure. Uh, Snorbo Despore is kind of amazing. He's got a weird mushroom trumpet. Yep. That is also <laughs> that also like shoots. Uh, so who knows what's going on with this mushroom that he's blowing on? But uh, it's a decent it's a decent uh, range weapon right out of the gate. Uh, range three, three fury, one damage, stagger on a. Uh, not on a crit, but just on a successful hit. And then um, that inspires up to also have cleave. So very minimal gain on inspire. Yes. But, uh, uh, but that's kind of a nice early play. And there's some things that he may be able to score or, you know, he, he can he can try and set the board up for later because there's some guys that you really want to land a hit with. Yes. And I will say he is your most accurate fighter to start with. So... Oof. It's something to lead with, I guess. Yeah. Get lead get with stagger that out highly there. accurate three fury. Yeah. Yeah. Do the three fury, get a stagger token, hopefully let your other guys get some rerolls. But uh the remaining three. So so we've got I mean, I guess there's sort of four. Um <laughs> Golko and Pronk. Uh so these guys are pretty silly. One of them's holding a door. The other one is sitting on top of his shoulders. I don't actually know which one's which. Um, <laughs> and and they've got like a makeshift uh, slingshot set up on top of the door with a squig that they're trying to shoot off of it. Um, yeah. So they're interesting. They're slower. So they're only two speed instead of three. Um, but they do have three wounds still. So they're not as likely to get one shot. And um, they have a three range shot that they can do once per turn. Um, which if they haven't moved or charged goes up to range four, which was actually pretty useful. Um, yeah, I actually thought that they wouldn't care so much about the range four, but being able to just place them not even like super aggressively at the beginning of the game and just being able to lob shots at people's starting hexes felt pretty good. Yeah. It's also that, uh, uh, Gristlewell effect where a two fury attack, you're like, ah, it's not that accurate. <laughs> but when it's doing two damage or in the case of Griswell three, you're like, well, actually that is a real big problem for me. If you, that manages yeah, to land, it's actually something. Um, and that, that goes up to almost effectively three fury once, uh, if you can get, um, Snorbo to, to land a mushroom blast. 
Yeah. Or if you get somebody else to provide some support or something. Yeah. Um, and he's the other fighter with Nashin. So I guess that you can kind of keep track that the, the guys who have the small squigs, they can break upgrades. Yep. Um, so then we have our other squig knight. Um, so this is Grib. He is uh, probably the most important fighter in the warband. He's riding on a squig. Um, he's got a weird like pole hammer lance. <laughs> so the the uh, the background on is this is it's like this busted up lance that he just kind of crammed a mallet head on the top yep. of. And it's uh he was trying to be knightly and have like a lance lance, but he figured out it was extraordinarily hard to hit anything from the back of a bouncing squig. Yep. So now it's his wonky lance, uh, and so it's easier to just bash something from the back. So yeah, yeah. He's got a, he's got a hammer lance, you know, the classic yep. classic hammer lance. It's the classic. Uh, everyone's image when they imagine the stately knight. Yep. Um, but yeah, so he's he's actually fast. He's speed four, um, mm-hmm. three wounds, so he's also not likely to just get taken right out. Um, and he has two weapon choices. He can just swing his lance. Um, and do it's a range two, two fury, two damage, which mm-hmm. isn't amazing, but you know, it's something. And then uh, if he charges, you well, you can use it anytime you want, but I think you pretty much only do it on a charge. Uh, you can have the squig just ram stuff with its horn. Um, so it's it's normally a two smash, two damage attack, but if he's charging, it's three damage. So mm-hmm. um, he's pretty scary right out the gate because um, he can just get out and get somebody. Um, so my impressions from playing with him is that he is your workhorse. He is the one who is sort of driving a lot of the lethal ability of the warband, at least in rivals. Um, so you really, you really don't want him to go down. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's, it's that super, super difficult, uh, road to walk where this is a fighter that you need to have do work, but also a fighter that you can't really afford to lose until you've really made some progress. Yeah. Uh, and giving yourself the chance to maybe get some of your other fighters up and running. Um, yeah. And you can also end up in this situation where like, well, this is my guy that's got range two. So he's the one that's most likely to attack multiple times. So actually he's going to get most of my upgrades. So you're dumping more and more upgrades on this guy. Who's still only got three wounds. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, doesn't Better. feel great. Yeah. If it, it, it's, if you go all in on grib and then grib bites it, you are you are left with kind of ashes for the rest of your your warband, but yeah, Grib can, Grib can do some work. Grib did some work. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, I think especially in rivals, you pretty much have to use him that way. Like, mm-hmm. I don't think you have enough stuff really with the rest of the warband. Um, right, but I mean, he looks super cool. His model is awesome. Yeah, so that's something. Uh, his his uh, inspired side. Um, flavor text i like it says grib cuts the most knightly figure of the lewd knights but that's not saying much <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> uh yeah they actually made a fair amount of room for uh flavor text on on these guys these even. cards yeah it's yep. pretty it's pretty great uh, a lot of them are it's pretty good flavor text too so uh that just leaves green crack right it does uh so green crack is actually for as leaders go pretty okay um <laughs> Pretty okay. Pretty okay. I mean, he's got the, the loot court story. Three move, three wounds. So you're like, okay, that's not great. But he does start on double block. So yeah. he's not easy to hit. And he's got a pretty average attack with his 
uh, stick that is a range one, two smash, two damage. So um, very average attack profile, but he's more defensive than most. So, um, you know, I'd say that's, that's pretty okay. Uh, the, the really nice thing about Grincrack is he is a lot like Thundric in that he has a reaction that he can use after you score an objective. And specifically for this warband, it has to be a non-quest objective. Hmm. And you can then choose one surviving friendly fighter and inspire them. Yeah. Uh, I think that is going to be critical to playing this warband in non-rivals. Yeah. You don't have a lot <laughs> of opportunity in rivals to not score with quests so right there's only five objectives left in your deck that are not quests and they're i believe all and oh no well there's well there's three end phase and 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 the the surges are not super simple so yeah um so yeah i mean it basically gives you the opportunity like if you just chose to build a deck that didn't include any quests then he is just then your then your whole warband is just inspiring as if you were Thundrix Profiteers, yeah. Right, which actually um, feels good. pretty good. But it does, yeah. <laughs> you can put some pretty reliable uh, surges in there. I, I think that may be the way a lot of championship players uh, go. I don't. I, I think it's maybe less of a headache if you're looking for uh, more reliability. Uh, yeah. And such. But yeah, for sure. Uh, and I just want to give a kind of shout out to the Gnarl Spirit season of rules here, where reactions. Uh, are no longer blocked by enemy reactions. And so they were able to write this ability as a reaction instead of it being, yeah, instead of it being like the uh, uh, Blade Coven, you know, where it's just like, this thing happens. It's not really a reaction. Yeah, it just happens. And then it's always like, well, when does it happen? Or, you know, they had to write it like that before because it could be blocked. And yep. Uh, yep. this now they don't have to worry about it. You could block it yourself if you had a really weird timing window thing that popped up, but that's on you. So. <laughs> <laughs> true yeah um yeah i don't think there's any window that you could possibly find for that but yes no. you could theoretically yeah. block yourself um yeah. i i guess it is as you said all of them inspire after uh scoring a quest except so Grincrack has the exception if you have three or more other friendly fighters that are inspired Grincrack will also inspire yeah um so if you're really going off on your quests, you could just get Grincrack to go without dub, but feels unlikely. At yeah, least. and he, he doesn't really need it. He gets he goes from two smash, two damage to three smash, two damage, and that is yeah. the only change. Yeah. Uh, we, we do note that although a couple of these fighters don't get much from inspiration, there are some objectives that care about whether you're inspired or not, and that... Um, yes so that that makes uh adds a little bit of pressure to inspire or not uh i think how you use this guy obviously we were playing in the rivals format uh for ours i think how you use this guy though depends a lot on whether you are you know like if you're playing in rivals you can actually i think be a little more aggressive with him because your other guys will inspire off of quests uh and so true you may be able to push this guy forward and say hey yeah i got two block if you want to try and take some swings on this fella then good luck to you yeah um if you are if he's your only route to inspiration because you built championship and abandoned quests well then that's a different story altogether yeah yeah and i guess that's actually a fair point i i kind of needed him to do work in our game at the end and he was sort of out of position to do so um and i probably could have just had him further forward so 
Uh, it's a good observation and a good lesson learned. Sure. Uh, I think the only other one thing I wanted to say about these guys as a whole is since we didn't break down every profile, uh, all of them but two end up with uh, two defense dice once inspired, and yeah. they all start on one or more block. I mean, one block with everybody except for the leader who starts on two. That's yeah. that's pretty good for a horde war ban. Like I'm, yeah, it's not bad. I I'm I'm used to the days where if you're a horde, you're starting on one dodge by and large, with just a few exceptions. So, um, yeah, not and nothing, I, and and that's that's important when m- most hits will kill you. <laughs> Very, um, and it's flavorful, right? I mean, these guys are all dressed up in armor, so like yeah. they they kept it, you know within the style they're like yeah, yeah these guys have heavy armor on so they're gonna have block they're not they're gonna be like the Stormcast. yeah um, which i appreciate if you could uh summarize we're gonna get into their cards but before we do if you could summarize how you think the general play style of these guys are if you're getting pointed in a particular direction with them or one or more directions what what do you think that would be uh in rivals or just in general uh, let's say in rivals and then you could back off in the general if you want. Okay. So I think in rivals, they are definitely being pushed forward. Um, so they feel very much like a, I, I would, they're probably not full aggro. They're probably more of like a hold flex in enemy territory kind of thing where you're trying to be aggro, but they have some rewards for standing on objectives and, but, but like by and large, they need to be in enemy territory. They have multiple end phases that score off of being in enemy territory. So um, they are aggressive for sure. Mm. Yep. Uh, aggressive. Yeah. They, I think flex is a, a good way to say it. Like, um, like mostly aggressive, a little bit of flex in there. They have some, some situations where they care about particular objectives and, and that sort of thing as in yeah. objective tokens. Um, yeah. I think that's fair. I think if you look at their, their power deck too, it all kind of feeds into that by and large. There's there's not a lot of stuff that will trigger for them unless they're in combat, you know. Yeah. Um, for sure. All right. Well, let's get into it. I think what we'd like to do is each highlight a couple of cards that we think are uh particularly important in understanding this warband or that made for a particularly inventive uh design. And yeah. uh so we're we're gonna each highlight uh a couple from each category. Phil, do you wanna start with uh one or two of your, uh, I don't want to say favorite objectives, but uh, one or two objectives that you think are worth talking about. One that I find to be very interesting, didn't actually get to end up playing with it at all, um, is one of their end phase cards called Small Glories. Mm. Uh, so this is a end phase score where if you have each surviving friendly fighter inspired and or have one or more upgrades, you score two. Mm. Um not easy to do round one i mean definitely <laughs> theoretically not, just probably, about impossible yeah I mean, almost impossible i mean yeah you'd have to have some sort of crazy start but uh feels like in rounds two and three it starts to become fairly reliable if not almost automatic yeah so a two glory end phase that can almost always score if you don't have it in your first hand feels pretty good yeah especially in the age of the more forgiving mulligan yeah i think uh round two it scores easily as long as you're willing to maybe spread an upgrade where you're not totally excited about having it. Yeah. And then round three, uh, it gets even more into the, like, maybe we'll just score. Yeah. Uh, 
I like Mobum. This is a yeah. quest. It's a surge. Uh, so it has all the information about how what to do um, what to do with this quest. And then it says, score immediately after a supported friendly fighter's successful attack action if the fighter made that attack action or supported that fighter. So if you were supported or were supporting, there's a way to score this, uh, which is pretty cool. The, the second half is a little trickier because you might say, okay, I'll, I'll charge in with somebody get them in a good position and then I'll throw this on. Well, you can't because yep. if they have a token, you're out of luck. Uh, but what this does, as opposed to the objective that needs you to charge, you can, if you have a support setup, I think as, as things get a little more scrummy in the later rounds and, and they can leverage some pretty decent pushes, um, there's, there's ways to, uh, to land this. Um, yep. And it's just a successful attack action, which is always uh, easier than, than scoring a kill. Absolutely. Yeah. I really like this one too. I yeah. I know that there's a generic version basically of this in destruction. Um, so you can kind of lean into that support scoring stuff. Yeah. Um, I, I think the difference on this is that support ed or support yeah, yeah, yeah. either, right. either way. And that that's a lot more flexibility. And this yeah. is actually pretty scorable by your ranged fighters too. It is. It is. Yeah. It's pretty nice. Um, I, I guess in playing with it, though, I, I wound up in a lot of situations where I couldn't keep a fighter next to one of your fighters to set up the attack. Hmm. Um, and I didn't have a push in the rival's deck that let me set it up until like very late in the game. But they Got do it. have pushes in the deck. I just wasn't drawing them. I think that was sure. the main problem. Uh, what's another objective that you like? Um, there are a f- number of them that I like, but I think I want to talk about one that's maybe just more interesting um is loon court infestation so this is a surge is not a quest um if you have more friendly fighters in another player's territory than that player's fighters so basically it's just lengthening shadows but it also has a caveat of being able to score this if you hold objectives one two and three Mm. Um, this scores for two as a surge. Um, yeah, surge of two. Pretty surge great. of two is pretty nice. And if you have a way to set up the hold, like that's not bad at all. A, a hold three surge for two is good. Yeah. Uh, for anybody who didn't play during Beast Grave. <laughs> <laughs> now, of course, it's a little t- trickier because it is specifically objectives one, two, and three. But, um, you know, having that second condition makes this quite a bit more reliable um and there'll be times since this is a surge where you're playing against an elite warband and you can just use a push to push a bunch of your fighters into enemy territory and just score this yeah yep uh and uh this is not their only two glory surge they have another one for Thank killing you. somebody with more wounds than they have pick on to get your own size <laughs> which you pulled off on uh on one of my fighters and landed yourself a three glory kill yeah and inspired the fighter was on i was like oh oh no yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah. i was feeling rough i do like i do like that one as well uh yeah all right uh i wanted to highlight uh, i talked a little bit about the the head games that uh, putting these quests out will do and i think a great example of that is ne 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 uh if i'm trying to say it like trying that. to onomatopoeia ne 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 Yeah, uh, that's what's going on there. This is a surge and a quest, 
So it goes on somebody. It'll surge if uh, after an enemy fighter attack action that targets this fighter and fails. Yeah, uh, like these are normally amazing. Uh, this is signaled, so it's much weirder. Yeah. Um, but we talked about like throwing this on a dangle bro out and specifically because you can pick this back up into your hand. Uh, I think this is when you put on people who are like, ah, it's kind of a 50 50 if they're going to live. Right. Like yeah. the temptation is to put it on somebody who, Oh, I want this on somebody who's got great defensive stats. That means that they're, uh, yeah. really likely to mm-hmm. miss if they attack and somebody's just gonna be like, well, I'm not going to attack. So you can, you can use this as extra safety insurance, or you can put it in as like, hey, uh, in in the vein of, um, oh, uh, well, it's not really like these cards that give you glory for losing somebody, but you you can put it out and say, all right, you know, if you miss, I'm getting glory. If you hit, I'm gonna put it back in my hand, and somebody else is getting it, and I'll try again on it. Like this, yeah. this feels like one of the more repeatable ones. Yeah, um, and I think. I like your point that it's, it's sort of the head game. So like, so if I didn't actually get to play with it, but if I was going to use this, I think most often I would probably put it on when I was ready to charge with Grib. Mm. And so then it's like, well, he's now in your lines. He's done his charge. He's done for the turn. Do you want to take him out before next round? Because he's scary. Or do you ignore him? Cause you don't want me to score. Nah, 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 nah. Yeah. And yeah. he, you know, hopefully was able to inspire us because I'm too dodged. And then it's like, mm-hmm. oh, catch 22. Do you leave the really scary fighter alone or do you risk missing him and then scoring me a surge? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So it's a it's a design that kind of takes a look at the quest mechanic and finds a, a new spin on it. So yeah. Yeah. that's pretty fun. Absolutely. Uh, any other objectives you wanted to hit or should we move on to gambits i don't i think i mean we could talk about more but let's let's just move on we've got um for folks who don't know we we are going to do full rundowns of all the different cards in our blog post mm-hmm. um so if you want a breakdown of every single one of these cards you can go find that over there we'll have it posted probably in the show notes and up on our website yeah um, so i think those are sort of the most interesting ones to me. So I think unless you've got anything else, we could probably jump over to some surges or not yeah. surges, boys. Yeah, let's check out these gambits. Uh, give me a gambit that you you think is worth highlighting. Yeah, so I think my favorite one, well, it's, it's kind of hard to choose. So there's two push gambits that I really like. Um, shockingly, we like push <laughs> gambits. Yeah. Um, what? <clears throat> I think I think the one I like more, although it's going to be situationally less useful, is Sound the Charge. Mm. Um, so this one is restricted to Snorbo, which is somewhat unfortunate. But um, it lets you push each friendly fighter in your territory one hex towards the nearest enemy fighter. So theoretically, you can push seven fighters, which is pretty good. Um, but even if you can only push, you know, handful late in the game that's still solid um now of course you might not be in your territory anymore which could make this worse but i think um yeah you'll know if you need to fish for this um i think maybe if you get long boarded you probably try and mulligan into it just mm-hmm. to have that extra speed and early mm-hmm. turns yeah yeah i mean you you said it that you have some speed problems and because you're filling every starting hex you have some 
slow people that are way at the back. Yeah. And if you want to be able to get some of those other numbers relevant, this is an important card. Very. Um, How about you? What's uh, what's one that you're looking at and thinking? That's uh, it would be. I let's talk. Uh, let's talk a, a pair. There's Giddish Ferocity, and this is uh, yeah, plus sure. one dice to range one and two as long as you have a quest attached, yep. uh, or until the uh, end of the phase. And there's Giddish Resilience. Actually, I guess it's a there's triple. Three. There's Celerity, yeah. uh, Ferocity, and Resilience. Celerity gives uh, plus two move as long as you have a quest. Ferocity is plus one dice as long as you have a quest. And then Resilience is plus one defense as long as you have a quest. Uh, those are things that make it not feel as bad to have a quest on. Although, like you said, you all of a sudden the, the, uh, the gambits are driving the quests because you're like, man, I really want to get this de- defense on. I guess I'm, I guess I'm gonna give this guy <laughs> I guess a quest. I'm going you know? quest. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right. Um, but I, I mean, it did the trick. I think you, yeah, you came in uh, with uh, Grib, came bounding in on two block. I was like, oh, that doesn't feel good this early in the game. I, I can't really easily get through that. Uh, and then Grib inspired. Uh, you know, scored a quest, so he lost this, but then Grib was on two dodge. I was like, oh, no, it didn't. It only get marginally better. Okay. Yeah. Um, Half so point. It, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let's see. Let's see. Uh, get some riskier plays in. Yeah. Um, so that's a that's a trio that, especially in rivals, where you're certainly going to be using the quest mechanic, and perhaps in some of the uh, championship builds, th- those are that's an important set of cards that uh, kind of. Uh, leads into the the whole design of this warband. Um, yeah, yeah. And I think uh, it's go ahead. Important to point out with Giddish Ferocity, it does apply to range one and two attack actions. Which, yeah. while you only have one fighter with a range two attack action, he's the most important one. So, <laughs> mm. um, if you can set this up right, you might be able to have Grib suddenly swinging much more accurately for an entire round with that yeah. lance. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I kind of I kind of cheated and took three, so yeah. why don't you take another? <laughs> um, well, I won't mention the other push just because it's 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 very similar in its utility to the other one. Um, I think the only other one that I find really interesting is kind of two, so I'll cheat it too. Um, <laughs> they've they've got this pair of pings, mm. um, and they're kind of similar, although one's. One's more random, one's harder to set up. So so basically, you've got one ping where you scatter from a fighter and deal one damage to a fighter in the chain. It's yeah. scatter two. So you got a pretty decent shot of being able to hit somebody adjacent to you. So I think you mm-hmm. use this kind of like uh, hit trap or um, something like that from back in the day where you hit them and they need one more damage and then you mm-hmm. pocket squig and yeah. throw a squig in their face. I think championship, you're taking just about any other yeah but right um i think both of these probably don't cut it in championship but they feel pretty decent i think in either nemesis or rivals because pings are just pretty solid uh the other one then is stick the boot in you Mm. need to have so it's a reaction after a friendly fighter's activation if they're adjacent to a vulnerable enemy fighter so you can really only do this to kill somebody off um and that fighter is also adjacent to one or more of your friendly fighters. So you have to have two fighters adjacent to the same fighter to use this reaction, and that enemy fighter has to be vulnerable. 
not great. No. But sometimes plus one damage that is a surprise can be a big deal. So yeah. Um, yeah. Interesting. Uh, I mean, I guess probably better that Gambit or that uh, pings have more of these restrictions than less. But yeah, uh, these ones are pretty pretty hard to play. <laughs> yeah, yeah. When you when you put them against Dark Command and uh, what the Root Trap one is, the uh, th- those are ones that trigger yeah. extremely easily and very broadly. Yeah. Uh, these ones not so much. Very uh, much. last. Last gambit I want to mention, uh, only because it is very good, is stab, stab, and stab again. And this sure. is the yeah. the classic uh, after a failed attack, you react to attack again. Yep. Uh, very powerful. Um, you just need to remember that this re-attack is not a charge. Um, Correct. So if not. you are charging with the squig horns, you don't have the plus. You know, if you miss on the charge, using this means that you're next attack will not have that plus one because no longer a charge attack you won't be able to score that quest but yep. uh just uh just getting to attack again getting an extra action out of a round is always high value yeah what's the timing on this so would you be able to score a kill surge if you hit with the stab stab reaction yes uh provided you, you know so if it's uh, like you could get uh, the pick on a get your own size. You know, it's sure. still it's still an attack action. That uh, unless the wording is really really specific, uh, there's only a couple that I've seen that that do that. Because um, I think some of them say like after your activation, like if you kill the fighter, like score this after your activation. But it would still be after the activation because the reaction yeah. step happens before the ploy or before the gambit check. Exactly. <laughs> Jeez, words. <laughs> Surge check. For the surge check. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yep. Uh, well, we hit almost every single one of them, but yes, they're, yeah. they've got some interesting ploys. Um, yep. Like we've mentioned, tying three of them to the quests may or may not be a good thing, but um, it's certainly interesting and flavorful. I yep. can appreciate that. Yeah, definitely. Uh, what about upgrades? They've got uh, a set of uh, 10 here. Yeah, they sure do. Um, some of them are very basic. Some of them are much more interesting. I think, um, so I think that there's just a couple that feel worth touching on to me. And I think I know one that you really like, so I will try and leave that one to you. Hopefully I'm picking the, not the one that you wanted, but okay. uh, I, will, I will go with Despicable Cad. Um, so this, this is sort of interesting with some of the other support stuff. Um, so this is an upgrade where your range one attack actions will have cleave, but then also fighters supported by this fighter will be considered to have an additional supporting fighter. Yeah. That's a pretty good accuracy bump if you can get it, it uh, in position. Yeah. And a nice thing with like, so it's a very minor accuracy boost to the fighter who gets it, but, and then also has some ability to increase accuracy the rest of the warband, which I think is good just because... You know, cards that just make you count as an additional support sometimes can just kind of be dead. And cards that just give cleave usually don't do enough. Yeah. So they're like, well, let's stick them together. And then it's probably a pretty decent card. 
Sure. I like uh, I like Cleave the more that we see uh, fighters like Goral out there running around on <laughs> yeah. two block. Three block potentially. Yeah. With like some that very easy weighty blessings. If you can if you can at least reduce them to just fishing for crits, then at least that's a that's a little bit yeah, better. Much so. much nicer. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. How about you? What do you got? Uh well, I do like this downtrodden squire. Uh, <laughs> I thought that you might want this one. Yeah. So I, I don't think it's good. I think we have this uh, phrase we like to use is better, more, more cute than good. Yep. Um, and I think it's exactly that, but still, uh, this mm-hmm. is a reaction after this fighter's move action, choose one friendly fighter that was adjacent to the fighter at the start of that action, push that fighter by the shortest distance. So it is adjacent to this fighter. And this card is pretty clearly made to be able to have somebody keep up with grib. Um, yep. and, uh, Depending on how, you, if you can set your charge right, then you can make sure to bring somebody in for a support. Um, but this fighter is getting pushed, so even if you, even if it's just a matter of pulling somebody from from uh, further back, it, it means that you can have Grib further back alongside somebody else potentially. Uh, mm-hmm. There's just some. I, there's going to be some fun positioning tricks. Uh, anyone who's played Cunning Crew knows that, like having these extra. Uh, pushes and moves can be can be pretty powerful again i I think it's a little too situational to actually be uh great uh it it does have the help from gnarl spirit season being that you can actually move multiple times so if for some reason you're moving and not charging just moving around you can (laughs) you could actually drag one goblin and drag another goblin and you could you could move four times and drag four goblins and not have made any attacks and then yeah <laughs> probably not advance down the board too much either but yeah yeah <laughs> maybe maybe just ferrying them onto objectives you just drop yeah. them off yeah I think the only thing about this card that I like that tripped me up the first time I read it is just the end where it says by the shortest distance. So you, you must move the fewest number of hexes possible to get them adjacent, which oftentimes I think will mean that you are ending up with them uh, sort of behind, behind you and not the, in a supporting position. Yeah, 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 yeah. And that's not really what you want. And I'm not quite sure what the reasoning would be to do that. Like these guys feel like they were designed with the intent that like, yeah, you should have somebody come along to support him. But instead it's like, nope. <laughs> yeah kind of drags them along there obviously there are ways to get it to happen but um you have to do a lot more work and um yeah 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 um, how about another one for you sure um so so i will say the rest of them are all well that's not entirely true there's like one more that's not just like a bonus to some stat um which isn't a bad thing. I mean, that's sort of what you want with upgrades, right? But they're just there's not a lot to say about like plus one wounds or plus one right. damage. Um, so this other one that I think is interesting is Cun in Advance. Um, this is a leader restricted upgrade that gives uh, Grincrack an action that lets him push each inspired friendly fighter two hexes. Mm. Could be very good um, if you care more about getting into position than charging. Um, yeah. So the, another piece that sort of lends itself to that flex play where maybe you're just trying to get onto objectives or maybe just trying to push a bunch of fighters into enemy territory. Right. But we've, 
we've seen in other war bands where this action push two is is pretty good. This one has the restriction of inspired, but crushes, yeah, uh, good crushes players would use that uh, that uh, Morgak yes. action yes. Uh, to to good effect. Yeah, I mean it was really good with with them. Um, the upside there being that you just had to have the resources on Morgok to do it. Whereas mm -hmm. here you have to inspire the other fighters first and get um, this upgrade out. Yeah. Yeah. Not, not like super hard to do, but it, you know, you got a couple more hoops to jump through. I do think sure. it's still probably good if you have the deck set up around it to play well. Yeah. Um, but probably not something you need if you're just going straight aggro. So, yeah. Um, and then the last thing I'd say is important from a rival's perspective is that they've got a couple ways to boost damage. There's yep. kind of Knight, which uh, helps uh, plus one damage while this fighter has one or more supporting fighters. So if you can set up a support, and that's got no range restriction. So yeah, Snorbo can all of a sudden have a two damage dute on his uh, <laughs> mushroom horn, uh, which is... And it's kind of nice, right? Yeah. Uh, especially if you're picking up cleave or have already staggered somebody, you can just keep on uh, hitting them once they're staggered and, and rip through. Absolutely. Or, um, or go to a three damage squig chucka. Sure. Right. Exactly. Um, and then pointy boots is plus one damage for range one. Uh, that's just going to be the difference. Uh, and and those things are pretty scarce in rivals. Uh, Absolutely. So, yeah. thumbs up to those. Uh, yeah, I. I, they have some pretty decent upgrades. Some stuff that you look at and say, well, in championship, I would, you know, there's a couple weapons in there. I would rotate those out for more powerful uh, attack action upgrades, but it's important for them to have them in yeah. Rivals and Nemesis because uh, if you have, you know, some of your little guys who are not yet inspired or even even Skulko and Pronk who have their one attack action, they only have one attack action on their profile and they can make that attack action once per round. So once they've done that, yeah, if, you, just, if they don't have another weapon in their hand, they, yeah, yeah you, they can walk <laughs> around, <laughs> they can go on guard, yeah. Uh, but they're they're otherwise otherwise done. So, um, you would think with their short move of two that that wouldn't be important, but uh, you definitely had them trying to shiv people with, uh, yeah, some desperation plays. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I think not, that might happen. Terrible, more often, though. I think. Yeah, no, 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 pretty decent. Um. So yeah, that that is the overview of the deck. Uh, what what was your take after having played these, run these guys out? And uh, to be clear, we we ran rivals Loon Court versus the uh, Fearsome Fortress, uh, and I tried that in a couple war bands. What uh, we we kind of gave a summary at the start. Any after we've talked about it, any any other thoughts you want to share on these guys before we talk Fearsome? Um. I don't want to like color people's opinions too much. So maybe I will <laughs> let, let people decide for themselves. Um, I'll say they, they felt a little rough to me. Like they did not, it wasn't smooth. Um, and I think I need to think about it a little bit more, but I think the main thing was like, if you don't hit your attacks when you need to hit them, you get stuck with quests that you then can't score, which means you don't get glory to put out upgrades. And like the whole deck kind of falls apart. Cause you so they, they feel like certainly as the way it turned out with us, there was some, there was like, Hey, there's a whole lot riding on this particular role. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it's like, if I do hit, I score a quest, I get inspired, I get glory, I draw more cards. Like the train starts rolling kind of thing. Yeah. Um, 
sort of similar, I guess, in a way to Velmorn, right? Where it's like, right. if I can roll these crits, suddenly stuff starts happening. And then you don't roll crits and you're like, well, I guess I'm just not doing a whole I lot. I guess stuff will not start happening. <laughs> um, so like, I don't, I don't want to put out the idea that maybe they're not good or anything like that. I think there's uh, certainly play to be had here. I think they're a very cool warband. Um, I think they require a skilled player and um, probably a lot of reps to figure out sort of your optimal plays. Yeah, I really like that you what, what you mentioned about their uh, their uh, skill ceiling, like having a sense that hey, there's more here once you get into them. Like there's yeah. there's potential. Yeah, and and we know from seeing people play the the other gets. I'm forgetting their Zarbag's gets. Zarbag. Um, we know from seeing people play them that they have a lot of play, even yeah. though like a lot of their stuff doesn't on face value look super great. And a lot of people are playing them aggro right now in championship. They just throw on weapons on little guys and it's like, all right, here we go. Yeah. <laughs> and it feels awful. Cause you're like, I guess I could spend time killing this little duder who just missled at me and <laughs> is basically nothing now. But if I don't kill him, then he chops at me with that cursed boarding pike again. Yeah. 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 They trade well. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Uh, I I look forward to uh, seeing people champion this this warband. Uh, I think I think there's plenty there, and I am interested to see if there is like a championship level uh, quest build, or if that's something that's going to fall by the wayside. Um, and uh, yeah, but I, I think that whether or not that has planned championship, it will remain relevant in Nemesis and Rivals. Honestly. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, so in our games, we had another deck that was getting played. We did. Uh, Fearsome Fortress uh, just spoiled not too long ago and dropping into our lap after these guys did. So my my original idea, I wanted us to play, I wanted us to do Loon Court versus Grimwatch to have like yep. diluted knights versus diluted <laughs> knights. <laughs> and then, uh, then a, a Gits off. We're going to have uh, Loon Court versus Zarbags. But yeah. Uh, the arrival of fearsome fortress kind of made us like, well, we better we better try this thing out too. Yeah, I uh, go ahead. I mean, I'll just say I I really like this deck. I think it's cool. I think that's exactly what I was going to ask. Like, what what your you know? Let me let me back it up a little bit. When you first saw it, when you first like flipped through the cards, what was your first impression? And then how do you feel like that has changed after seeing it? Uh, my first impression was that this is probably going to be a bit touch and go because you have to put your fighters into very vulnerable positions yeah um i guess uh maybe to even back up further <laughs> this sure. deck is designed around being in no one's territory or one hex out from no one's territory yeah something so, that we saw with the gore chosen right like yeah, they have a number of yeah. things that care about that um and so my my initial impression was like well some of this stuff is really good but like you really have to put your fighters into bad spots because your positioning is absolutely dictated to you by the deck. You yeah. will be in those spots the vast majority of the time. Yeah. So I thought certain warbands can definitely take advantage of that, but it's going to be sort of this touch and go thing. Yeah. The way it ended up playing out, uh, better than I had actually expected. Um, you and me both. Yeah, um, it played quite well. And maybe some of that is because I couldn't pressure enough 
but mm. I feel like Grib was putting out some pain and you were yep. still scoring. So yeah, uh, played well, it's cohesive, like has a theme that it wants to do. There's like nothing in here. That's like, why is this here? Like, <laughs> right, right. Like everything makes sense. So, uh, pretty cool. Um, I think similar to quests, we, we have a plot for fearsome fortress. Um, how about we start? Yeah. There? Like well, that. that's a great, great, uh, discussion point is that, uh, this is, uh, there was some theorizing by, by folks that there might not be a plot card associated with this rivals deck. Uh, there is. So that means if you're including cards from this, you're not mixing it with, uh, deadly, not deadly depths, daring delvers or uh, tooth and claw. Mm-hmm. Um, which that'll be a, a discussion for a later point. Like if that's the the way we're headed, uh, yeah. put another topic down for the debate episodes. Exactly. <laughs> uh, this plot card is extremely simple. Um, you, all you do is after the place feature token step, a player with this plot card places one available feature token. So that's going to be your, uh, currently it's the snare or cover. You pick which side it's got to go within one hex of no one's territory. It could go directly in no one's territory or not. Uh, but it can't be in a starter, a blocked, a lethal or a cover hex. Uh, and once you do, you get to decide which is face up. Uh, if both people happen to have it, uh, then players roll off and the winner places one first and then, the, uh, so on. Uh, two thoughts about this one if you are playing Fearsome Fortress and your opponent is playing uh, Daring Delvers, you have, well, I was going to say you, you've already limited Daring Delvers opportunities because there's fewer uh, available feature tokens. Uh, and some of some of what I've done with Daring Delvers before is, you know, use that to kind of set up landing spots for yourself in enemy territory. Uh, on the flip, if you happen to put this, if you, you have to be careful about where you put this because if you put this in no one's territory or if you put it like one hex away from no one's in your own, all of a sudden Daring Delvers really cares about that. Like they, yeah. they will fight you over this yeah. <laughs> hardcore. Um, and so that that makes for an interesting, I think that'll be an interesting matchup to see is the uh, Daring Delvers versus Fearsome Fortress. Yeah, yeah, I think that, uh, that matchup, I mean, basically making the two warbands do similar, but not exactly the same things and have them fighting over the same resources is going to make for some really interesting gameplay. Yeah. Um, I feel like a lot of the other stuff that's going on right now is like aggro in enemy territory. Yeah. And if both sides are doing that, they want to like run past each other and just yeah. charge. And it's like, well, that's fine. Yeah. Uh, like there's nothing wrong with aggro, but if everybody is just doing that, it, it just, I don't know. It just ends up being yeah. a big slug fest. That's pretty clever because they figured out like, hey, let's build a deck that wants to hold stuff, but let's try not to build a deck that is, let's be way in the back and hold stuff, you know, because we've, yeah. we've seen that and that some people are fine playing against that. Some people, it's a pretty bitter taste in their mouth uh, yeah. from doing I that. Will, so I think it needs, like, there's a certain amount of that that must be in the game for there to be enough balance, I think, because if mm-hmm. everything is just like aggro punchy, it feels like, well, why do we even have cards? It's just going to sure. come down to who punches each other first. Right. Um, but I think this this helps bridge that gap um, in the current meta and definitely should add some interesting options, um, especially mm-hmm. in Nemesis. This this feels really fun for Nemesis. Yeah. Uh, I, it is 
it is a cohesive rivals deck in the way that we hoped that they would be you know back back in the days when we were looking at uh illusory might or before that silent menace we're like oh man like i like the idea that these you know silent menace this does not hold together illusory might they got closer but it's still yeah. you know yeah we, there's still stuff that doesn't make sense or stuff that is contradictory or, or just you know too uh too threadbare uh but this this holds together cohesively well uh, one one way you know how you know a deck is not aggro uh <laughs> it does not have any damage buffs in it yeah Yikes. uh yeah that could be a little bit tricky um you do have a few other ways it does have some ping stuff right or am i wrong uh i don't let me take a look it, it has a way to generate uh extra attacks we'll, we'll get into that okay um so so yeah i mean it's it's pretty there, much there like, is there is a ping you're right but yeah still i mean it's it's not it's not aggro like <laughs> at all no. which no. Uh, and yeah, I think that's probably for the best, but it is certainly different. Um, yeah. so, so yeah, yeah. I don't know. when we were getting ready to play with this one, I, I wanted, I was like thinking, you know, I was, I was at work yesterday, knew we were going to be playing this morning. It's like, all right, what, what do I need to bring? Like, I, I, I want to bring something that, uh, you know, that would work with this. Uh, I would want to bring something where if you were playing rivals, you might say like, Hey, I'd be interested in trying a universal rival. So I'm looking for somebody who maybe doesn't have a great rivals deck on their own, uh-huh. um, or one that's fine, but you know, might be willing to try some other things. And I want it to be something that people can, uh, people can get easily. So yeah. uh, at first I was like, Hey, maybe steel hearts, like they, they might not, <laughs> they might not hate doing something like, oh no, people can't get steel hearts. Um, I thought a little bit about uh, uh, about the Shadeborn because they uh, would appreciate an extra cover being placed. Uh, that's that's always nice. You can when you place that extra feature token, you can put it cover side up. And there's one particular upgrade in here which makes a lot of feature tokens count whatever they're currently showing, and it makes them also count as cover, um, which is actually a really cool upgrade for them because all of a sudden. Uh, they can be both in cover and holding an objective. Yeah. Uh, and that opens up opportunities for them as far as what, you know, cause they always used to have to, in the, in the uh, delve days, like, okay, well I want to delve everything to cover, but all of a sudden now I'm in trouble when it comes up for dominant position and I, I'm just giving up on that. Um, right. So I thought about that, but then I, I decided to, I, I landed on the Harrow deep. Actually I tried, we tried uh, with each of them. We tried, the uh cunning crew and we tried uh zandar we tried zandar's truth seekers um and i for different reasons both those i for zandar's is like i kind of like doraz being in here and me with so little damage in this deck it's nice to have somebody Mm -hmm. starting at three damage and being able to say hey look like i can hit you back pretty hard so don't get don't get too saucy with me uh and then cunning crew i was a little worried because I've seen them at their most powerful when, when people are forced to come to them and I was like, well, if they're running forward, that's a problem. But man, all that range two, you know, the, the two yeah. big guys with uh, range two attacks. Uh, if you can get the little guys inspired on guard or in cover, like all of a sudden their defensive situation is better. And all the movement tricks means that you can find ways even after 
find find unexpected ways to get onto or back onto the feature tokens after you have uh, even deep into the round where the board state looks like it's really starting to firm up. Yeah. Um, and I'll say playing into them, it felt really bad once they were castled <laughs> up and it was like, all right, I got all four of my fighters in the, you know, that middle strip where I want them to be. And yeah. And I'm just ready to go to town with these range two attacks. And yeah, it's like, Oh God, like I, <laughs> I have to charge into this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This big old um, support nest sounds yeah, terrible. Right? Um, yeah. so it felt really good, actually. So and maybe <laughs> something for people to try out. Yeah, yeah, I was pretty happy with that. You ready to talk cards, though? Yeah, let's talk some cards. Okay. Uh, just like any of the decks that they've been doing lately, there are six surges, so it is uh, it is more functional out of the gate. And uh, some are easier than others, but there's, there's not too many that are just like, whoa, this is awful clunky i'm not sure there's there's one in there that i'm like it's without without infection support I, i'm not 100 percent sure how this plays very easily but but yeah what what uh what did you what did you think was worth talking about in here so my favorite card in here just period um is conquered domain um so oh, this is, yeah <laughs> this is a <laughs> spicy one uh, so you score this in an end phase if you have a friendly fighter on a feature token within one hex of no one's territory. So that's the first sentence. There's more, but we'll just start there. At base level, you can have one fighter on one feature token to score one glory. Not yeah. great, but like it's very reliable. You can kind of just do that. Yeah. The caveat is that you gain one additional glory point for each other friendly fighter on a feature token within one hex of no one's territory. I, I will admit, until right before I was about to score this, uh, I think I was two or three activations in. Actually, I might have surged into this now that I think about it, but looking at it, I was like, oh, wait, this is really good. Like, <laughs> uh, especially with the Cunning Crew, where I managed yeah. to do some... Shen- I had I had more tricks than I needed. I had like some other tricks. I was like, well, I don't even need these other tricks. I can just use Manox crazy cool stuff. Uh, shuffle around, and all of a sudden, I'm sitting on four feature tokens so i had a four glory end phase it was pretty uh, off of one objective yeah yeah Um, so um i like this one for its flexibility i like this one for its power level i like everything about this card yeah it's a good call at at its worst it's fine uh at its best it's incredible yeah yeah and and there's uses for it in all like you would never feel bad about scoring this for its lowest point, and you would certainly never feel bad about it if it scores for two or more glory. So, yeah, just very, very good card. Yeah. Um, how uh, about you? Yeah, I'll. Man, there's a lot uh, to to go. Uh, a <laughs> lot to like here. Uh, Earthworks is an interesting one that we haven't seen something like this in a while. This is score immediately after a friendly fighter is given a guard token if that fighter is on a feature token within one hex of no one's territory. Uh, there, you know, even if you're just doing in, in our game, uh, I drew it in the Xandires game and I was like, well, fine. I'll just, uh, I'll take an action and I'll give, uh, Talos, Taros, Taros, I'll give Taros, uh, I'll take an action with Taros to go on guard. Taros was then, uh, on a feature on guard and then as always supported by, um, yeah, by <laughs> buddy, uh, Stormrider. I don't know what Storm her Rider, name yeah. is, but <laughs> Terrace is then supported by Stormrider, and so that's that's a pretty impressive defensive profile. 
and it was an action that was like here there's there's no way around it i will get yeah the glory from this and draw and see another yeah. card um some war bands are going to do it even easier if you think of storm of celestis uh yeah. sleek can do a warning cry and just get it on your opponent's turn Ugh. where without even having to spend an action like oh boy wow that feels that. so bad <laughs> uh so th- this is that sort of uh that sort of surge that makes you sit up and pay attention you're like i i can get this now you might say that it mm, in that case i was able to do it a little at, at its least efficient, it's two activations to get you one glory because you got to move on and then go on guard. Yeah. Um, at its most efficient, you're sleeking and you're you're not even using an activation, not even using a power card, and you're getting it. Uh, I was somewhere in between where I'd used uh, I'd used a push reaction uh, off a of, uh, for Taros to get on there without having to move, and so it only cost me the one activation to get a one glory surge, which totally fine. Yeah. But I mean, yeah. there's there's plenty of warbands that have easy ways to put out guard tokens. Um, sure. And there's some cards that are just like, hey, put a number of different fighters on guard. And it's like, yep. well, that's nice. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'll not only make my warband hard to hit, but I'll just score off of the power card I just played. Seems good. Yeah, um, yep, totally. Yeah, I like it. I think it'll have good uses in a lot of different decks. Um, yeah. Um what else do you got? Yeah, so um I mean I'm focusing on a lot of these end phase stuff, but uh another one that I like is stockpile. Um mm. it's maybe not amazing, but I think it's reliable enough that it should be pretty playable for hold war bands. Sure. So this is one mm, excuse me. One of the rare ones that doesn't care whether you're in uh the no one's territory sort of border. Um mm. You just score this in an end phase if your warband holds objectives whose numbers add up to six or more. You score for yeah. two. I think there's a lot of uh, a lot of times you'll probably be able to score this from holding two, and if you have to hold three, it's you know suboptimal. But um, I think it, with, yeah, with, if you have three, you automatically because the lowest ones you can have is one, two, and three. Yep, and then you'll get it. Yeah, so. yeah, that's your worst case scenario. Um, yeah, if you have four or five in your territory, you're feeling pretty good yeah um so i think that just feels good for hold warbands um it's not it's not dominant position but like it's still pretty reliable and your opponents might not see it coming if you're just holding two sure um and yeah i mean what what are they going to do about it either like you're a hold warband your thing is i'm going to stand on objectives so yeah, um, I I just like caring about uh caring about end phases. Uh, I mean, sorry, I just like caring about the numbers on the objectives. That's a that's a fun thing that yeah, uh, yeah. we don't always get to do. And in a way that's not like you must specifically hold this one objective to score this, because sometimes it's just like stuck way in the back of your opponent's territory, and you're like, well, I guess my card's dead. Yeah. Um. And so I I like the design here. They're making numbers important, but they're not making it restrictive to the point where you can't score it and um it has a decent payoff so Mm -hmm. a well-designed card i think hopefully it's not stronger than i think it is um yeah it's not trivial uh um yeah one that i liked and this is a good time to help a little bit of diversion uh but i liked siege breakers i I think it's kind of tough uh but it's a so this is a two glory end phase score this in end phase if there are no enemy fighters in your territory it's actually in the current 
state of things pretty difficult. Yeah. Uh, but uh, in the case of playing it in Rivals, uh, we talked back and forth about, I was, you know, when we were deciding, well, if you're playing Fearsome Fortress, do you want to align boards to maximize yeah. the number of uh, hexes that are in no one's territory? Or do you want to have more feature, more control over the feature tokens uh, and be able to not get blocked out of putting them? And I think we both agreed that ah, it seems it seems safer to align the boards, and it may be hard to really disrupt that to a, to a great degree. Um, and theorize that getting longboarded is really tough because then all of a sudden there's only two hexes that are in no one's territory, yeah. and it really limits the spots that you want to fight for. Uh, what I found, though, is that with this, although I did not score it, it looked pretty good to me until uh, until your bounding squig bounced in. <laughs> I, I can't actually get him out. Uh, but if I had found a way to stop him or knock him back out, uh, then the rest of your warband just wasn't fast enough to do anything. And that gives me a, like, hey, yeah, I got longboarded, but I've got this two glory that's, you know, definitely scorable, definitely doable. Yeah. Um, so, so not too bad for that. Um, there was... There, you got to be real careful with the feature tokens because uh, I, if you get longboarded, so I had advantage, so I placed the first, my first feature token down. You placed in what seemed like a pretty good spot to block out, make it real hard for me to get another one that was anywhere <laughs> close. Uh, but then what we noticed was like, oh, actually, I can now place in a way that guarantees that the last feature token placed can go on an edge hex, and I'm I'm back to. Uh, two placed and then one from the plot card. Uh, so there's back to three in a very small area. And then it's choke point city, man. Yeah. And that is actually decent for these guys to make sure that things are kind of clustered up yeah. uh, and fighting over these things that they, they in the place and the, and the spot uh, where they want to be fighting anyway. Yeah. Uh, some head games. It, it makes it tough. Yeah. Um, yeah. Certain boards wouldn't have the same problems. they just the way that the, um, mm. uh, starting hexes were set up, um, just yeah. sort of forced it. I think there's actually a number of different boards you can force that issue if you want to. Yeah. Um, more, so, more and more so the more, uh, the more blocked or lethal or, yes. uh, cover hexes are on, the, the more likely this is to happen. Yeah. So some, some interesting play. Um, yeah. Uh, denial that you can score in any end phase is probably decent. Um, yeah. I mean, denial's it, problem is yeah. always that you could only score it in the third end phase. So yeah, um, again, this is maybe not a championship card, but this is a card that's yeah that's good, and it's a card that's great to have in there for uh, for head games, like we said. Where hey, like we're playing Nemesis, we're playing Rivals. There's actually a decent chance that this person might have Siege Breaker in there, in which case yep. I might need to bomb somebody into their territory on like a suboptimal play. Yeah, for sure. Uh, any other objectives that you want to talk about? I mean, there's a number of really interesting ones, but I don't know that yeah. we need to go into all of them. <laughs> yeah, we, we won't hit them all. There's uh, but there's there's more that are they're worth playing and uh, playing around. Yeah. So, um, it it felt functional. I, I would occasionally have some in there that I was like, ooh, I'm not 100 percent sure I have a route to score this. Weirdly, I uh, the first game we played. I drew into three surges that all seemed like, I don't know if I can score this in the first round. There was 
uh, bold sortie where you have to charge from your own territory or from an objective in your own territory. I'm like, well, I'm not on those yet. Yeah. So <laughs> that's a round two one. Raw materials where you had to like place, this is the worst, the hardest one. And you place a feature and an enemy's out of action. Like that's a big ass to get somebody knocked down. And uh, then, you could, if there's a feature token available, you could chop somebody in no one's territory and then place it under them using the plunder. Yeah, but the the plunder reaction only works if it's an objective token. Like it, it has oh, to be one right. of the features that. Uh, so, uh, so man, that that reaction that, is yeah. <laughs> that I, looking at that it makes me think that maybe we might see an errata on that because that that appears to be written as a here's another way to get one down, and it's by killing somebody uh, in that area. You would hope, but I guess yeah, yeah. That certainly makes this. Uh, improves the possibility of this i don't know like it it, it opens up some possibilities if that uh is if it works that way but it doesn't <laughs> yeah exactly um anyway the point being I, I ended up with like i was like oh hand of three surges yeah it's go time and i was like Ooh, actually <laughs> these are all great if i am playing in a later round but yeah that is not that is not when we're playing and so i that was the that was the game where i had to kind of uh, I'm not going to do very much uh, except score four glory in the end phase because conquer domain. Yeah. A card that has nothing to do with domain gambits, by the way. So Yeah, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, gambits. So uh, these gambits all kind of generally play into that. Uh, there's a lot of stuff that um, is either to get you to that spot or to take advantage of that spot once you're there. Um, yes. I will lead off with one I didn't get to play. Uh, but this is, uh, takes some setup, but is real scary. This is opportunistic reprisal. Oh yeah. Um, the reaction play this after an enemy fighter's attack action. If that fighter is staggered, choose one friendly fighter. The chosen fighter makes one attack action that must target that enemy fighter. Uh, great for a number of reasons. This deck includes several ways to stagger enemies, uh, tooth and claws out there. And people are voluntarily staggering people, especially with that last activation, like, mm -hmm. okay, well, it's super safe for me to just stagger myself, charge in, I'm savage, I can do savage objective things. Now, if you've got this in hand, you're like, yeah, sure. You know, I, I, I might get a, uh, a fifth significant action out yeah. of this. Um, particularly if you've got big fighters or range two fighters. Like if I had drawn this, um, if I'd drawn this when, we were, when I was running the Cunning Crew, uh, that extra reach makes it feel like real good. So, yeah. Yeah. And, and you can think of this as the damage boost that this deck is lacking. Like an extra attack is kind of what they need to keep stacking up attacks. Yeah. I, I think the biggest thing for me when reading this is realizing that it's not the fighter being attacked that has to make the attack. Right. Yeah. It's any fighter. So it's like, Oh yeah. man, uh, <laughs> there's a lot of interesting play there. Um, yeah. so, yeah, I mean, free attacks, I always like. I think that yeah. one's pretty good if you can set it up. The stagger is yeah. obviously the, the sort of part that makes it difficult, but there's there's ways to make that happen. Yeah, this card on its own is like a argument for uh, running range two and range three fighters with this, yeah. with this warband. Yeah, or some weapons that let you do that. Yep. Um, yeah, well, and actually one that felt really bad that you played against me and plays into this um is a trap card that is in this deck called gnarlwood tusks mm -hmm. and this is a reaction that you play after an enemy fighter ends a move action adjacent to a feature token 
that is in the same hex as a friendly fighter. Mm-hmm. So you're on your feature token, you get charged, you react and play this out, and it staggers that enemy fighter. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was having to make some long odds charges where I probably wasn't even going to be able to kill anybody <laughs> after the yeah. charge, and I was like, oh no. <laughs> <laughs> this fighter who's now in not safe position is also now getting rerolls against them. Uh, yeah. Felt real bad. Yeah, and I was carrying around a grievous weapon, so it was yeah. you know, like, okay, all the more chance that that's going to trigger. Yeah, so um, I like that it's a trap that actually feels like a trap, but not like slick rock where mm. it's just busted. Um, yeah, I think this will be pretty good. Like, there's a lot of situations where you do not want your charging fighter getting staggered. Yeah. Um, so you'd have to be really careful to know, like, is this is this as safe of a charge as I think it is? I haven't seen that card yet. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I like anything that can deter attacks without having to do anything. <laughs> it's the head game stuff. Right. Right. The um the ones this is this is a head game that your opponent's not going to be involved with. There's there's this is a it's almost an anti synergy in the deck. Or it's a it's a thing where it's real useful if it comes out at the right time. There's a set of cards. There's there's a surge objective that wants you to charge from something from an objective in your territory. There's uh, redeploy, which is amazing. It's a four hex yeah. push, uh, but you have to be on a feature token in your territory and then end up on a feature token. And then another one that is uh, lets you your it's restricted to your leader. Your is take your positions, choose up to two friendly fighters in your territory other than your leader. Push each chosen fighter one hex towards the nearest feature token. These are great cards if you're not already set up in those spots that you want to be in. If yeah. you are, uh, it's not, it, it's a nothing, right? Like, yeah. I, I had several times where I was like, oh, I'm kind of already where I want to be. And so this is dead or I'm in no one's territory. So this doesn't do anything. So, uh, not, not terrible, but, uh, it's, it's a, it's a high payoff, um, low floor high ceiling low floor card can can be amazing can also just be a nothing yeah i think of the two um yeah i don't know i guess i mean they're very different i think i like redeploy better but you're right like they have they have great uses and otherwise outside of those situations they're kind of just like meh I, I had a situation with redeploy where I was eyeballing it and uh, I was like, okay, I actually have, uh, I can have Doraz in a spot where I could use, I was, I was like, I, I could use this, push him all the way into enemy territory. You had a feature token. I could go right around four is a long way. And then uh, these fighters that are kind of out of the way, I can scything them. Uh, so I was, mm. I was trying to trying to engineer a way where I could make this happen. And then Doraz died. So, <laughs> yeah yeah but i mean it's it's interesting stuff right so cool cool cards cool pushes um lots of utility yeah does what you want so yeah um i think any other any other gambits you want to hit i think the only other one that i want to hit for right now is one that i like just because we don't have a lot of enemy pushes right now and that's makeshift bombardment Mm. so there's a lot of setup for this but like the payoff's pretty good so 
you choose a friendly fighter that's on a feature token, and then you have to choose a f- enemy fighter that's visible to them within three hexes. So the within three hexes is pretty decent. That's a pretty decent range, but you can't just push anybody. So blocked hexes will mess this up. Um, and then you get to choose one. You can either stagger them, which can be useful if you just need the um, if you just need the accuracy boost, especially if you've got like a bunch of ranged fighters. I was you know, the, the warband I was eyeing for maybe being good with this was Thundrix. And like, mm. I was like, oh, stagger off of a ploy and totally. then light everybody up like that. <laughs> feels pretty <laughs> bad. Um, but and, and then the other option that you can do is uh, push the chosen enemy fighter one hex away from the chosen friendly fighter. Um, mm. Now, having to push one hex away is not always great. But if you just need to push somebody off of a feature token or, you know, just push somebody out of range, Sure. Having that option is always better than not. And we've lost a lot of our push enemy fighter options. So yeah. um, I do like seeing more of them come back, but have some restrictions to make them uh, something you have to think about. It's not just a distraction where you're just like, well, I get to push one of your fighters anywhere I want. <laughs> yeah, uh, big agree. I think uh, if this card was only one half or the other, not great. But because it has the flexibility of those, I, I really like this quite a bit. Yeah, Absolutely. Uh, ready to move on to some uh, uh, upgrades? Yeah, let's do it. Uh, I will talk about one that uh, that's cool that it's in this deck. It is a deck. It is a card that is only has any worth whatsoever if you are uh, using this deck as intent. You know, like using it mm-hmm. either as rivals or leaning heavily into this mechanic with Nemesis. And this yes. is Walking Wall. This is for the purposes of cards with the fearsome fortress symbol. While this fighter is not on a feature token, this fighter is considered to be on a feature token, and this fighter's hex is considered to contain a feature token that cannot be flipped. Not exactly sure where the last part of that. I think that's just making it so that there's not head scratching moments. <laughs> yeah, um, I'll flip a feature token that I'm on that doesn't yeah. exist. <laughs> but at the right time, this is as simple as hey, uh, I'm getting an extra glory off of uh, Conquered Domain. Yeah. Uh, and that's that's worth it on its own. Uh, it interacts with so many other things. You know, once you're in the right position, maybe you get guard, maybe you can trigger, you know, maybe you can use that bombardment. There's, there's so many cards that interact with this. Uh, but it literally, on it says it does not, you know, basically it's a blank, it's a blank upgrade if you're, interacting in any way with cards outside of of this uh expansion yeah yeah it's rivals nemesis only basically is what it says unless you're leaning really heavily into this stuff for yeah i wonder if there's a champs build that leans this hard into that i'd be yeah maybe i feel like you i mean the the closer champs gets to nemesis then maybe (laughs) yeah (laughs) debate topic debate topic sure um uh i mean speaking of stuff that this combines with um one of the upgrades in here that I find really interesting and quite powerful um, is Stalwart Sentinel. And this is an upgrade that just says, this fighter cannot be pushed by opponent's warbands while they are on a feature token within one hex of no one's territory. So three rows of the board where your fighter just cannot be pushed by enemy fighters. And since that's what you want this warband to be doing, <laughs> it's pretty nice. Um, we've certainly seen plenty of situations uh in the past where not being able to be pushed ends up being much stronger than it seems Mm. um 
and uh, I, I mean, just having another option for that feels good, um, even if it has a slight restriction to it. Right. Yeah. Uh, that's that's as powerful as it gets. Is that uh, cannot be pushed by an opponent's warband, like you said, because uh, it's no dryback, it's no push from cards, it's none of that. But because it's an opponent's warband, you can still push. Yes. Right. Like Very you good. still have access to your side steps or or whatever the whatever you've included which is huge. Uh, you know, there, there were archetypes that used that this fighter cannot be pushed at all um, in some of the beast grave era. And I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll take that, you know, like that. Uh, I'm sure I can't push, but it's real powerful to know they're going to be where they're going to be. This is better than that. And like you said, we've, yep. we've seen other versions. Great. Absolutely. Uh, there are some important pieces of tech here that give you a chance to maybe work this a little bit better. Bold engineer plus two move except during a charge action. Uh, that's not super great, but reaction after friendly fighter's activation. Pick one feature token in an empty hex adjacent to this fighter. Place that feature token in this fighter's hex. I actually was using this uh, poorly. Yeah. It says after a friendly. <laughs> it's not after this fighter's. It's after any friendly fighter's activation. You can do this thing. Uh, I was making this much more difficult than it needed to be. So after any friendly fighter does something, this bold engineer can uh, pick up a feature token near it and slide it under itself. Um, you are also placing that feature token for the purposes of other cards that might care about it. There's some objectives uh, yeah. on it. So it's it's not a push, it's a pick up and place. I missed that um, as well. Yep. So this this is kind of uh, a centerpiece. It's a, it's a key piece of this deck and it opens up flexibility with what you're doing. Um, I found exactly that where I was like, ah, gosh, like I really want to charge this guy, but I, I can't quite get there. Yep. Um, it's a way to steal, uh, steal an objective from somebody. So you could charge, knock them off and then, or, or kill them. And all of a sudden that, uh, that feature token is now empty and you can, you can bring it over to yourself. Um, and again, that might be another glory if you are yeah. domaining. So it certainly might be keep stacking it up. Yeah. I think this it really helps a lot of champ stuff too, because there's going to be situations where you just need to be able to move uh, a hex under a fighter who's already done something, or you know, you just don't have the action economy to get under sure. enough objectives, and so you're like, well, I'll put bold engineer under this guy, move this guy over onto another objective, pull the one under my fighter. Yeah, suddenly I'm yeah. I mean, think how prevalent drifting tides has been. Yeah, uh, exactly. And this is. Maybe not quite as powerful as that, but pretty good. Yeah, still still solid. So yeah. I like it. Yeah. Um, there's a couple more in here that are good. I think I want to just touch on, I don't know. I, we, we kind of already mentioned Melding Stone. I think that's the one that I like the most. Um, this is the one that makes cover, yeah, for, it. cover for objectives that uh, within two hexes of the fighter. But I, but I think that one that I actually like a little more, but it will be harder to pull off, I think, is Siege Master. Mm. Um, so this is a reaction upgrade. Uh, so after this fighter's activation, if this fighter is on a feature token within one hex of no one's territory, choose up to two friendly fighters on feature tokens. Now, yeah, importantly, they do not have to be, that the friendly fighters chosen do not have to be on feature tokens within one hex of no one's territory. So yeah, opens up a lot of opportunity there. You give each of them a guard token. Yeah. So uh, it could be it could be yourself. It could it's be not yourself. too other. Yeah. It's too friendly. It's too friendly. So uh, it's, it's this card on its own is why I was thinking about 
uh, Mourn Flight or Wraith Creepers. Is yeah. Like, oh, wow. Yeah. Like, if I play one of those Ghost Warbands, two dodge, Base we two start dodge. hitting out guards. Yeah, mm. it's pretty nice. Yeah. And yeah. Um, and then not being able to be driven back. So you stay on those feature tokens. And um, I mean, it's just, I think, I think there's going to be a lot of play here. And if you care about having guard tokens, this is a quick way to get a bunch of guard tokens out. Mm-hmm. Um, you can move, put out two, go on guard, put out two, um like there's there's go on guard go on guard reactive gave out two more guards yeah i mean like if that's what you care about doing is just being on guard like yeah there, there's a yeah. world here where suddenly you're like well i can put my whole warband on guard after one activation it's like oh no yeah yeah and you know what this is also a way that like if for some reason if there's a strategy that i mean i know we're hinging all this around one upgrade but like if you are saying like i really want there to be a lot of cover on the board you can say with this guy, you can say like, okay, well then at the end of my opponent's power step, I'm going to delve these into, um, Oh, oh wait, sure. Is this features? Feature token. Yeah. I'm going to delve these into, uh, cover tokens, uh, cover hexes. And then on my turn, I'm going to do a thing, react and, and uh, put those guys on guard. Yeah. And so oh, and... ditch, ditch their staggers, give them guard <laughs> tokens. And now, now they're super defensive because they're yeah. guard and in cover. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I mean, we're living in a magical Christmas land, but uh, I think it's one of those cards that we've said in the past, like, keep your eye on this. Yeah. I don't know if there's enough that plays into like the be on guard hold strategy. Like, I don't know if there's enough payoff for doing that. But if there is, if there's a warband that cares enough about being on guard and holding. um, Yeah, this this is uh, looking really good to me. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, last thing I'll say is there's another tech piece. This is Mason's great hammer. I actually ended up using this. So it's a two smash, two damage cleave grievous one. That's not a terrible attack profile on its own. No, that's solid. Um, That's solid. You're threatening three damage. Um, it's one of the few sources of extra damage, uh, especially if you happen to be like a more hordy war ban. Um, it kind of saved, saved my, uh, truth seekers game. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I got this on storm rider. I was like, Whew, I thought I was going to have to use that one damage bow for the rest of the game, but here I am yeah. uh, whacking people with the hammer. Um, <clears throat> but, uh, this also has a super weird reaction after this fighter's activation, remove a feature token from this fighter's hex, then place another available feature token in this fighter's hex. So you could use this, like I'm on an objective, I'd rather it be cover. Uh, let's do that, and uh, but do it without having to delve it and stagger myself. Yes. Um, and you don't have to have made an attack. You can just have an activation. The other thing to do is also it will place an objective token into the uh, available tokens, and that will open up the plunder um, reaction. Um, True. Yeah, because you could remove the objective, so, put down a cover. Yeah, and then when you kill, yeah, okay interesting super super in the weeds tech uh piece but um it's uh, until yeah until we have no information one way or the other about this but if if things stay the way they are there's there's not a lot of ways to uh make that yeah make that happen so yep um yeah and there's more there's more fun stuff in there but um we're we've we tried to promise not to hit every single card if you want yeah. to do that, uh, <laughs> we've already done that on the blog. Go check that out. Uh, what we're trying to get at is there's a lot of, a lot of 
crazy uh, bits and pieces in this and it all functions together. Uh, I was kind of able to keep on working towards this plan of like, okay, let me keep working towards feature tokens where I want them in good spots. Um, and some of the stuff that looked hard to do on the first kind of look through these cards was not quite as hard as we realized, not quite as difficult because you had, you had some tools to make some of this weirder stuff happen. That was, that felt fun. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, it played really well. Um, uh, it'll be interesting to see, see it out in the wild, different war bands, different matchups. Um, I think, I think of the rivals decks they've made so far, this is my favorite. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. I, I can get on board with that. Um, I, I'd agree. Uh, I think it's about time for us to wrap it up. What do you yeah, say? Let's do it. Okay. Do you have any more thoughts on either of these decks before we close out? Um, I, I think we've said enough um, for yeah. today. There's plenty more to, to delve into. There's, uh, you know, like we said, we'll have, we'll have a couple more deeper dive episodes coming up. Um, so keep an eye out and we will we will learn more about these guys uh okay you know folks let us know what you've learned too because i think there's a lot to sort of chew on here definitely uh all right well as usual if you want to talk to us you can talk to us at our discord we've been including a link in our show notes uh you can get us at wthcast or what the heck's cast at gmail.com it has come to my attention. So we port this stuff over to uh, a YouTube feed uh, because we're purely audio. We don't actually get a ton of people on there, but uh, we did uh, get somebody asking like, Hey, you said there was this link. It doesn't seem to work. For some reason, when this ports straight to YouTube, uh, the, the uh, HTML text doesn't do that thing. So uh, if you <laughs> need something, you can uh, come check out the, check out the website that's at the mortalrealms.com. It's got all that same notes and it's just, uh, it, it'll be linked there or, or just, uh, ask us there and I'll reply with the information you need. Like I, like I did for this fella. Um, thanks to the mortal realms for letting us be on the network. It's great. Good place to be. Uh, the war cry folks are working on some awesome stuff. They're get, they've got a lot of momentum going. Eric is, yeah. uh, He's got some pictures of some things that he's working on that I'm really excited for that to get out in the world and some other more ambitious projects. Uh, when that guy gets a, a creative bug going, it's pretty awesome <laughs> to see. Absolutely. Uh, coming up, so we brought this episode out uh, early. We'll be back to an episode in two weeks' time. I think that means it's going to drop uh, on Christmas Eve. <laughs> so <laughs> Fun. Uh, yeah. Uh, but we'll be recording a little bit before that, obviously. Um, what I'd like to do, if we can make it happen, is we'll uh, get a bat rep going uh, using some of this new stuff. So you get the blow by blow. We kind of hit some highlights of our game, uh, but we'll get we'll get the rest of our team in on that, uh, get their excitement and enthusiasm. I know Brian's excited to use the uh, Loon Court. Uh, maybe he'll really dig something in. If you really want to hear uh, Nemesis, or if you really want to hear Rivals, or if you want to hear Championship Battle Report, let us know. We'll try to cater to that. Our main goal will be to try to play uh use our extra numbers leverage the the extra assets we have to play multiple games and and pick a one that is particularly entertaining for this uh and bust that out yeah uh, and then there's still that uh discussion uh if you want to if you want to hear us uh hotly debate some topic back and forth uh let us know what's up uh which one is most interesting to you um we we have like is ping good for the the game what do we think about 
uh, Nemesis. Uh, what do we think about the way Championship is shaping up with these uh, plot cards appearing so frequently? There's there's uh, tons of content. I know Brian also threw out a uh, what do we think about Warbands, whether they should rotate or not. So um, I, I look forward to uh, blood being drawn. <laughs> As any good follower of corn would. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I do have flavor text for you, Phil. Ooh, you all right. What do you got? Okay. Snorbo's signal to advance sounds like a flatulent trog boss, but it fills the loon knights with courage. <laughs> Does this sound the charge? It is sound the charge, yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I figured you'd get that pretty easy, but uh, it was an entertaining enough quote. That was I hadn't actually read that one. Um, <laughs> all right. But I was like, it can only be one card. <laughs> But I had no idea that they had said that. That's funny. Yeah. Uh, We're going to go with a Queens of the Stone Age song for your recommended listening. And that is a song called Fortress. Uh, You can check that out. We always keep that uh, Spotify playlist together. Uh, That's going to do it for What the Hex. I've been Davey. And this is Phil. Almost did it. Almost. Uh, that was almost two seat of the pants. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. We, uh, Saved it. Uh, yeah. I got as far as welcome to. Uh oh. <laughs> uh.